On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Thank you, congregation. And good morning. We all know that song, 12 Days of Christmas. Today, it is December 13th. And Christmas is only 12 days away. And on that morning, in great anticipation, children and adults alike across America will be unpacking their Christmas gifts. According to the American Research Group, the average shopper will have spent $886 on gifts this year. That is more than double the spending of that in 2009. Given all the commotion around the holidays, it is easy to lose sight of what Christmas is truly about. And let's not forget, first and foremost, that on this festive occasion, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And we will talk about that more today. Our opening hymn this morning was, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Now just imagine, for centuries, the Jewish people were anxiously awaiting and expecting the arrival of the Messiah, as had been foretold all the way back in the 8th century BC by the prophet Isaiah. And these prophecies concluded with Malachi in the 4th century before Christ. So, over a span of four centuries, the coming of the Savior was predicted. But it took another four centuries before God was ready to send His only begotten Son to dwell among the people. Now, last week, I was listening to a radio program, Haven Today, with Charles Morris. And he talked about Handel's Messiah. Handel wrote his masterpiece in less than three weeks, never leaving his home and hardly taking time to eat. The Messiah is made up of 54 movements, quoting scripture verbatim, with the majority of the verses coming from the Old Testament, including Psalms. Malachi, Zechariah, and of course, Isaiah, with 15 movements derived from that book alone. Now in the Bible, Isaiah and Zechariah are the two prophets that most frequently foretold the coming of our Lord. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, we read, A shoot shall sprout, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. Or in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cried out, cries out in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our Lord. Or in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, 300 years later, the Word of God came to Zechariah in Zechariah 9. 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. The book of Isaiah consists of 66 chapters, covering 61 pages in the Bible. Now, Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, covers 14 chapters, covering 8 pages in the Bible. And then there is a lesser-known minor prophet who foretold the coming of our Lord in a very distinct way. The name of this prophet is Sephaniah. Sephaniah, you say? Who is Sephaniah? Well, in the last few weeks, several folks have asked me when the next sermon was. And I told them it's on December 13th. And then the next question, which scripture is the sermon based on? And every time I said Sephaniah, the reply was, Sephaniah, who? <laughs> Most people have never heard of Sephaniah. Now that's not a big surprise, as it is widely believed by scholars that there are three minor prophets, Obadiah, Nahum, and Sephaniah, that are the least read books in the Bible. Now Pastor Bob Diffingbaugh in Richardson, Texas, refers to the book of Sephaniah as the best known for being the least known book of the entire Bible. It's a small book found in the midst of all the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. And among the minor prophets, we are probably most familiar with Jonah and Hosea. Nevertheless, Sephaniah is a great book that makes a significant contribution to the Old Testament and to the lives of many, as we will soon find out. Now, once a month, I travel to the farm in Ontario, Canada. Typically, we would depart on Monday night, take the red eye to Toronto, and arrive there early in the morning. Then we drive to the farm in St. Catharines. That's only an hour away from the airport. And then we spend the day at the farm, inspecting crops, and meeting with the team. Then we drive back to Toronto to take that 6 p.m. flight back to LA. Now the next morning, 
before driving north to visit the farm in Oxnard, we make a quick visit to the LA flower market, right there in downtown LA, to see some customers and to see how our crops are doing in the marketplace. But no matter, no matter what happens, I try to be back in the car by 6 o'clock in the morning for two reasons. Number one, the traffic around 6 o'clock around LA still isn't too bad quite yet. But then there's another reason. At 6 a.m. on that local station in LA called KKLA, one of my favorite programs comes on with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. A 30-minute program called Through the Bible, a five-year journey through the Bible from cover to cover. What a blessing. Now, as Pastor McGee, as pastor of a congregation up to 3,000 people, Dr. McGee once asked before preaching if anyone who had ever heard a sermon on Sephaniah, of the 3,000 people in attendance, two people raised their hands. The name Sephaniah means Jehovah Heights. He was the great, great grandson of Hezekiah, one of the good kings of Judea. And King Josiah was on the throne of Judea when Sephaniah prophesied. He also was a great, great grandson of Hezekiah. Therefore, Sephaniah and Josiah were cousins. Now, Habakkuk and Jeremiah were also alive during Sephaniah's lifetime. Now, unlike the prophet Amos, who was a farmer and a sheep herder, Sephaniah was not from humble origins. He would have had a direct connection with royalty, straight to the young king, Josiah. Now let's for a moment, take a moment to provide some background on the setting where we are. King Josiah reigned from 640 to 609 BC. And Sephaniah's prophecy was delivered right during that time. The northern kingdom no longer existed. It had been taken into captivity by Assyria 100 years earlier. Now Assyria on the east and the north and Egypt in the south were rivals for control of that whole region. And that little kingdom of Judea was located right in the middle of it. And the armies of these two superpowers often marched through Judea on the way to fight each other. Now, King Josiah led a sp spiritual revolution, called the Great Awakening. He removed idol worship. He repaired the temple of God. And he brought back true worship, as described in 2 Kings 22. Sephaniah and his fellow prophets assisted Josiah. They called the people back. However, most of the people repented only superficially. 
When Josiah was killed in battle, they returned to idol worship. Now the book of Zephaniah is made up of just three chapters. And it only covers four pages in the Bible. We call it a book, but you could hardly characterize it as a book. One could even call it a letter. As a matter of fact, I know some people who write emails longer than the book of Zephaniah. <laughs> however, however small this book is, the message is great and powerful. Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord seven times in this very short book. He describes the dark side of the love of God. Now this may be difficult to grasp while reading this book of Zephaniah, which begins with a horrifying message of God's judgment. God in His love will judge man in extreme ways, but He does it because He loves us. The book of Zephaniah is powerful because it teaches us that things aren't always as they appear. And God's love shines through the darkness of the circumstances in life. Zephaniah warns the Israelites to repent from their sinful ways. And he writes, They no longer ask the Lord's guidance or seek my blessings. They think the Lord will do nothing to them. But the wicked know no shame. I thought surely they will have reference for me now. But no, they get up early and continue their evil deeds. Yes, I will punish those who participate in pagan worship ceremonies and those who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. Zephaniah also admonishes the neighboring countries like Moab and Ammon and Ethiopia, but in particular Assyria. And he foreshadows that the fall of the mighty city Nineveh the capital of Assyria and the largest city in the world at that time. Now within a decade after Zephaniah's prophecy, the unthinkable happened. The powerful Assyrians were defeated and Nineveh was leveled to the ground with only one wall of the city remaining. And that wall is still there today across the river from Mosul. You know Mosul? We hear about Mosul every day on CNN. And it's still under control of ISIS. And as a matter of fact, ISIS threatened earlier this year to blow up the wall of Nineveh if the Iraqi troops would come closer. So here we have history 2,500 years ago still actual today, right here. Now, what happened to the Israelites? 
after King Josiah died in battle at Megiddo, they went back to their sinful ways. God did what Sephaniah had prophesied. Jerusalem fell. The temple was destroyed in, eight, in, in 586 BC. And more than a million Israelites perished. And many of them were taken into captivity, into Babylon. He had written to the Israelites, Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow His command. Seek to do what is right, and to live humbly. Perhaps even yet, the Lord will protect you. Then less than six centuries later, in Matthew 4.16, we read, The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them, a light dawned. Folks, here we come to the beauty in the book of Sephaniah. The nugget that is found in chapter 3. And this is what we find today's scripture reading. Sephaniah 3, 14 to, 14 to 20, which can be found on your pew Bible on page 877. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Sounds familiar? We just heard this from Zechariah 9.9, exact same words. Guess where he got it from? Because this was written, Zechariah was written 100 years later. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and he has turned away your enemies. The king of Israel... The Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. And here it comes, number 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you. So that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, this passage is so beautiful. It is like a flower that popped out of the ground 
after a long, cold winter and starts blooming in the spring. Like this bunch of red tulips. These tulips went through a dark and cold period in order for them to bloom as beautifully as they do today. Without the cold, they would not have flowered at all. And even if they did, they would have been very short and ugly. Or look at this bunch of chrysanthemums in front of us here. Did you know that these chrysanthemums would not have flowered had it not been for a period of darkness? We grow chrysanthemums in Oxnard. And these plants, under long-day conditions, in the summer, will continue to grow and grow and grow and not flower. Hence, we darken all our greenhouses with black plastic during the summer months in order for these plants to initiate their flower so we can enjoy them here today. The Israelites went through a very dark period. And when the temple was leveled to the ground, Jerusalem was destroyed and many perished or were taken in, into captivity into Babylon. But ultimately, the Messiah arrived as foretold in Sephaniah, bringing love, peace, and joy to the world. In an analogy of the message of Sephaniah, Dr. McGee compares it with the Gospel of John, as the theme in both John and Sephaniah is love. John being the apostle of love, Sephaniah being the prophet of love. Now, if a poll were to be taken today, a Gallup poll for the most popular scripture verse, it would probably be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But what about Sephaniah 3.17? It is most likely a very underrated verse because not very many people know of the book of Sephaniah. But if they would, they would probably recognize this as a verse that has almost equal powers. And I'll repeat, Sephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness and with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Joyful songs of our Lord? Can you imagine? I've been a choir member for many years, but I can't wait to see that happen. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. Folks, the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, 
He did not die for his sins, for he was the sinless Lamb of God. He died for our sins. He went through great darkness for us. He then rose from the dead and ascended to his Father in heaven. He offers salvation to any who will trust in him. Now, this last Friday, we had a farm meeting in, at the farm in Arcata. And as a closing thought, I used a quote from Henry Van Dyke, an American author and clergyman. And in the 1920s, he wrote a poem called, There is a better thing than the observance of Christmas Day. And that is keeping Christmas. And he concludes the poem with, Are you willing to believe that love is the strongest thing in the world? Stronger than hate. Stronger than evil. Stronger than death. And that the blessed life that began in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago is the image and brightness of the eternal love. When we are willing to believe that, then we can keep Christmas. And if we can keep Christmas for one day, why not always? With only 12 days to go to Christmas, our closing hymn today will be, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And the closing words of this hymn, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What a delight to rejoice. Rejoice, because as foretold in Sephaniah, Christ was born and dwelt in the midst of the people 2,000 years ago. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Rejoice because He's here today. The Holy Spirit is here today in our midst. And miracles are taking place across the world as we speak. Rejoice because the love of God through His Son Jesus Christ penetrates our hearts and our souls. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Rejoice that every cup may overflow with blessings, rich and eternal. Ladies and gentlemen, put your faith in the Lord our God. Surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And let the love of Jesus Christ come over the entire world. Merry Christmas. Amen.